I'm not sure, but this could be the most important topic we've covered to date. Today, we're going to be discussing the number one predictor of divorce. Once this poison sets in in your relationship, divorce on average usually happens within about six years. You're going to want to listen to the end of this episode to learn how to fix this problem and save your relationship. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. We struggled over this topic and how to present it clearly in such a short time frame. It brings up a lot of feelings about our relationship that we conquered a long time ago mm -hmm. before we learn the strategies that we're going to teach today. And also, because it's a heavy topic, I tend to try to diffuse heavy topics with humor. Mm -hmm. So if I start making jokes, know that I'm feeling the seriousness of the topic today. And it is serious. Um, so if you remember on our last episode, we shared divorce research with you. And in that research done by John Gottman, it was found that there are eight predictors for divorce. In fact, he was able to predict the future of a relationship with 94% accuracy just based on watching a couple talk about a problem for only 15 minutes. I don't want him watching me talk about problems with you. <laughs> That's okay. I think we'd pass. Probably. But from that 40 years of research, the number one predictor of divorce that he found was contempt. Ooh. And contempt is the kiss of death for a relationship. John Gottman has long referred to contempt as sulfuric acid for love because it is so corrosive. And as we'll share in stories later in the episode, being on the receiving end of contempt is very painful. Mm -hmm. Even if the recipient can't quite articulate why they feel so badly, it is very damaging. So contempt is a behavior that can destroy present relationships and also impact future generations because our children learn how to communicate by watching us. Mm -hmm. A child who sees and hears contempt in their home will likely default to these behaviors later in life, usually when they're triggered, upset, or trying to assert themselves in a conversation. Exactly. And there's a sliding scale to contempt. Um, in the extreme forms, contempt is emotional and psychological abuse. In those cases, the abuser is usually very well aware of what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Which is to use contempt as a weapon. Its purpose is to control, overpower, to manipulate, and to dominate. And oftentimes, we also see that contempt is more subtle. Oftentimes, it's totally invisible to the person who's doing it, but it's still damaging, just as damaging, because after all, acid is acid, right? And this type of contempt is incredibly common in relationships, which is why it's the number one predictor for divorce. So contempt is a serial killer for marriage. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. So it would be wise for us to do everything we can and everything that's within our power to eradicate this behavior from our marriage and relationships for ourselves, for those who we love, 
and for our kids. Yes, for sure. So what is contempt really? Contempt is any statement or any kind of nonverbal behavior even that tries to elevate a person to a higher plane. Mm -hmm. So it can be any form of communication that sets one person up as higher, smarter, better, superior, more adult, more mature, more of an asset in some way over their spouse. And it is the epitome of disrespect. Wow. So right about now, you might be asking yourself, do I demonstrate Mm -hmm. contempt in my relationship or marriage? Is this a problem for me? (laughs) Well, here's a quick check. Have you ever felt or said, man, he or she is such a baby. I can't figure out anything. Or what a knucklehead. Do I have to do everything for you to have it done correctly? What was it Jeff Foxworthy said? If you're mowing your grass in your front yard and you find a car, you might be a redneck. (laughs) Well, if you think your partner is infantile and incompetent, you might be deep into contempt. Ouch. Ouch. So as you might have already guessed, contempt includes things like put downs, mocking, name calling, belittling, shaming, mimicking, disgust and condescension. It can also be passive aggressive type of humor or even a sarcastic tone of voice, all of which would be in an attempt to place the other person lower in an inferior position and put you in a higher position. So we polled our online community about the types of contempt that they have experienced. And here's some painful examples of the statements they shared with you. Here we go. Here we go. Statements like, what is wrong with you? Why do you act like such a child? Mm. Or we also heard, you are such an idiot. Stop being so stupid, would you? Why don't you start using your head? Or the really common one, how many times do I have to remind you? Do you even hear me? What did I just say to you? (laughs) I'll do that for you. Clearly, you can't handle it. Or why don't you try being a man for once? Oh, ow. That one stings. And sometimes someone mentioned it's not just words. Sometimes it's just an expression. Like someone said, just the look on her face makes me feel like I'm disgusting to her. Yeah. And that's, that's not good. And that's true, right? Contempt isn't just our verbal expressions. It can also be nonverbal too, like eye rolling, sneering, a lip raise, shaking your head and dismissal or maybe some kind of hand gesture. Maybe not that one. Yeah. Partners who are contemptuous act superior to their spouse. And they often take a a criticism and they up-level that criticism by adding contempt to it, by adding a sneer or a left lip corner raise or an eye roll, signaling their superiority and possibly disgust. And of course, it rarely ends there because Mm -hmm. contempt breeds more contempt, which leads to defensiveness and more defensiveness and then in stonewalling. So then you end up with a whole smorgasbord of toxic communication and lots of damage to your relationship. Mm -hmm. Sort of the way those your mama jokes got out of hand when you were young and the next thing you know, you guys aren't friends anymore. (laughs) Right. Exactly. 
Also, contempt oftentimes begins as an automatic reaction. Say our partner, for example, brings us a simple complaint or a concern. Instead of seeing it as a simple concern, we might get threatened or triggered. And if we lack the emotional regulation to communicate, we might turn to contempt as a response rather than respectfully articulating how we're feeling or what we need in that moment. So where does this reaction come from? How is it even developed? Well, how did your family communicate growing up? Was contempt a part of the way that they communicated? Yep. Yeah, us too. Yeah. So I had a good friend back in grad school that used to, that one time we were talking about the way that his family argued or didn't even argue how they discussed things. And he said they had one rule in his house. The first one to raise their voice automatically lost the disagreement. It sounds like a great way to teach emotional regulation to mm. me. And I can tell you what, I can tell you one thing for sure. This friend of mine, he's one of the calmest people that I know. So it must have worked. Mm. So Interesting. for us personally, in our marriage, contempt was something that started becoming a problem just a few months after we got married. Growing up, we both heard contempt a lot, and we carried those habits and that communication style into our relationship. And we both did it to each other. Yeah, well, sadly we did, though I think I was the master of it, to be honest. I'm pretty sure contempt was my superpower back then. I mean, it might have been your superpower, but my favorite flavor of contempt was usually sarcasm or smartassery. Yeah, you were pretty good at those too. Yeah, no, still to this <laughs> we day. We had some skills. Yeah, yeah well, you know, well, give us credit. For me, though, um, I will say that contempt was used, it was more manipulative. Hmm. Um, it was a way to get my way. Uh, it was usually triggered. It was usually a response that came out of the blue that I didn't understand, a trigger. I remember, yeah. And it usually happened when he didn't agree with my position. Um, so kind of, weird. Newlyweds not agreeing. Uh, right. Like a triggered. It was kind of like righteous indignation. And obviously, like you just said, this is a problem because people are going to have disagreements. They're going to have conflicts. That's a difference of opinion is totally normal when you're married. Absolutely. We're different people. Yeah. But I didn't really understand that. Right. When I was only 20, uh, I got married at 19. So I was around 20 when this started and I would get threatened by his opposing viewpoint. So I would try to manipulate him. And it wasn't like I thought about it consciously. It was just something I just did. Um, but contempt was how I did it. And since that was such a normal um, way for people around me back then and, and how they communicated um, when I was growing up, I really didn't even have much of an awareness that I was even doing it or that it was even wrong. It felt honestly a little righteous and totally normal. Yeah, it sort of seems that way now that I know more about right? your growing up. Yeah. But help me understand what that means. Okay. So, yeah, so why why did it feel normal? And like, tell me that. Okay. So, well, looking back, um, of course, and this, again, like I said, I was 19. So this was decades ago. But I'd say it, looking back as I look at it now, it was kind of like being trapped, almost like you're trapped in a box. And that box represented what I knew, it represented the limits and the barriers of my own nervous system, my own abilities, my own emotional responses. And obviously at the time I didn't have a lot of emotional maturity and I had 
witnessed contempt a lot growing up, in, you know, probably every day. So I was trapped in this box of what I knew. And I didn't realize why certain things were so upsetting to me. I didn't realize why my heart was racing, for example, or why my vision would start to get blurry when I would get angry. I didn't understand what was happening in my body or these emotional responses that were causing these visceral reactions all over my body, right? So I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So that's why I say it kind of felt like I was trapped. Yeah, it's funny too because I I sort of feel bad that you were having that reaction, but but now what have you learned? What do you know more about this reaction? Um, well, now, right now, in my older self, I I know that we all have I'm, older selves, right? So, and yeah. I, I, well, I understand that where triggers come from, and I understand that triggers aren't about what's happening in the moment. Triggers come from some prior experience that we've had, often from decades ago and we've all we all have these they're all learned too Mm -hmm. and they these are memories that are stored in our nervous system and our nervous system is kind of cool it's kind of like a a black box on an airplane right it records all of our past memories even if we can't consciously remember it those memories are still there and then when certain things happen in the moment like oh he challenges my idea or he 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 disagrees with my position, then it becomes like instant time travel, right? Back to these earlier, sometimes traumatic events that we've had in the past. And then it's like re-experiencing those traumatic events as though they're happening in real time. So I'd end up reacting in ways that were in the moment totally unreasonable and totally unwarranted for that present situation. But it was based on something that had happened in the past. And this is when my superpower would come out, which was, of course, contempt. I, I, I felt like it was a superpower back then. You mm-hmm. were doing really good. So let's move forward now and talk about why you decided to change. What what sort of did that? What flipped the switch for you? I, I sort of know what it did for me, but tell me about more your story right now. So I think what flipped the switch and why I changed or at least started the process of change was actually empathy. I think that was the the starting place. Um, I saw how it was hurting you. I saw how it was hurting us. Um, but even then, as I started to recognize it, I was it wasn't like instant change. I still relapsed a lot until later on when I learned better skills for emotional regulation and and how to handle it. Um, so it wasn't instant, but I, I think empathy was the secret weapon against contempt. Contempt, yeah. So I guess then I have a question, aren't, I mean, wouldn't you assume that contempt over here, this, this, this battle stance and empathy are opposite? So how do you find empathy when you're really deep into contempt? Well, I think that's the answer is the opposite is the answer, right? It, it is a really good question, but I think empathy is exactly what draws us out of contempt because it is the opposite of contempt. Ooh, so... What caused you to feel empathy then? You. <laughs> you did. So, oh my goodness. Usually, when I would throw down some contempt, right? You would, usually back then, obviously, we were, we were both, we were both dealing with these four horsemen, right? We're a little spirited. Uh huh. Is that the right word? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so a little spirited when we're young, ready to fight. When I would throw down some contempt, you would fire back with, usually defensiveness or 
Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Laced right. with lots of contempt. A little contempt back. And, yeah. and then it would turn into stonewalling and then you would tune me out. But there were a couple times, there were more than a couple times, but there were a few times where you made a repair attempt instead of firing back with one of the other toxic patterns, right? And I think the first time you did this, at least the first time that I can remember, what I remember most is your face. And it was an expression of of shock and of hurt. And you said, and I remember this, even though this was decades ago, you said, Sharla, this isn't okay. This isn't okay. You can't treat me this way. You can't treat me the way that your mom treated your dad. And in that moment, Oof. that was probably the first time that I saw it. It was the first time that I recognized it. And so I said, I guess going back to that box analogy, when you said that to me, it was like something fractured the box. Something cracked it and some sunlight came in and I could see there was another option out there. There were alternatives and I wanted to get out of the box. So what you're saying is empathy is the antidote for contempt? I think it's one of the main, I do, I think it's one of the big antidotes for, for contempt. All right, I like that. Okay, so since we're talking about how wonderful I am, my favorite topic. <laughs> Always. Yeah. What other ways... Um, did I help diffuse this contempt Yeah, so in our relationship? They all kind of have a similar theme, and there were several, actually. It was always when you responded with a repair attempt instead of just turning firing, to... Firing back. Instead of firing back, right? Go to and guns. It was, it was, it was you uh, actually um, utilizing some form of emotional you know, control or regulation to say, you know, and instead of firing back with defensiveness, I'm going to try something else instead. And... Um, there was something really humbling for me when I would hear you express how my behavior was hurting you. It was like um, it was I'm, like your I'm secret you weapon. Were, I'm glad you were listening, though. <laughs> yeah, that is that's important. That, but it was like it was like a secret weapon, right? Instead of that defensiveness, you would say things like, "I remember this one. You said nobody else can hurt me the way that you can hurt me." And I remember that statement for whatever reason. And it was the one that really took my breath away. Um, and it was almost like you were saying, you know, like it was like an olive branch, you know, like here, Charlie, here's an opportunity for a second chance. Here's an opportunity to work on us. And in that moment, I couldn't keep hurting you. I had to change my behavior. So that fixed the problem, right? Mm -mm. Took it all away? No, oh, no, not 100 percent. Dang it. I think empathy probably took away 80% of it, but there were some, you know, obviously some additional skills I needed to learn and some learn some things to handle those triggers in the moment. I needed some new strategies for that. So how would someone do the work to change their contempt? Like having struggled with, struggled with this in the past, like what do you suggest? Or is there like a method? Is there a recipe? Are there some steps? Yeah, I think it's not going to be totally easy for someone who isn't willing to work on their emotional awareness or their emotional regulation. Mm, okay. I think that's the the overarching theme of, of what we're going to share with you next is that um, you need to work on developing that. And I, we've, I've come up with five that okay. worked for me that we've worked with, you know, other many other clients, these five steps that we are going to share with you right now to help change our own individual contempt. Okay, I'm ready to work on my contempt. So mm -hmm. I'm ready. Let's do it. What are they? Okay, so number one, 
Number one. Number one. And this one's easy because all you have to do is first recognize it. You have to see it for the poison that it is. And I didn't. I didn't see it at first. It seemed to me and it was auto on autopilot. It was just this normal response. So today, by listening and by tuning in right now, hopefully, I think you already know how to recognize contempt, even low levels of contempt in your relationship. And now you can make a commitment to changing that. So that's step number one is really just that awareness and recognition. Okay. What's next? Step two. So the second thing is to be able to feel empathy and take responsibility. Um, And we've just been talking about that, but we have to be willing to step into our partner's position and try to understand their experience of us and what they're going through. All right. So I actually want to share some words from someone who's experiencing, who experienced extreme contempt in her marriage. And well, her marriage did end as a result, but I want you to hear her words and step into empathy with me. Okay. What I feel from him is hate and repulsion. I feel despised. It's sometimes hard to distinguish reality from non-reality. His words and his hatred seem so real that they must somehow be warranted. Mm. Perhaps there is something wrong with me and something valid in his recent eruption. Maybe I do deserve three nonstop days of being told I am stupid, less than, because I forgot to charge my cell phone. Oh my gosh. I feel repulsive. I wonder how it is possible for someone to be filled with so much hatred and animosity towards me. I constantly question myself, trying to understand what I have done that is so wrong. Why does everything seem to be my fault? They say that people in love have rose-colored glasses, but for him... It always felt like black colored glasses. When he looks at me, it is always with such hatred, disgust, and criticism that I've lost connection with who I am and what is true. Even though the things that he says are illogical and untrue, they can feel real. So I doubt my own self and my own reality more than I can explain to you. Wow. Is it no wonder that contempt is the the number one cause of divorce. Mm -mm. So now there's an exercise that we use in coaching. And we also use this personally in our lives to help us to increase empathy and to see things from an alternate perspective to see someone else's point of view. And we call it perceptual positions. And so if you've been listening today, and you recognize some of these patterns in yourself, um, and you know that you're possibly doing contempt in your relationship. We invite you to do this exercise with us right now. It's really quick, but I want you to imagine your partner is standing in front of you, standing right there across the room for you, from you. And I want you to imagine floating out of your body, actually leaving your body where it is right now and floating across the room, right down into his or her body across from you look and turn and look back toward yourself looking through their eyes but looking back at yourself do you see yourself standing there now as you look through your partner's eyes i want you to ask and and respond to this question what would you say back to yourself about how it feels to be treated that way And if you're doing this exercise 100% and you're doing it non-defensively, you will really see the situation through their eyes. And as you do, it will change you. I know for me doing this exercise in multiple different contexts in my life, it's usually very emotional and I always learn something new. 
So step two, that was a long answer, but step two is empathy and taking personal responsibility. That was good. Okay. So there's a third step. So third step, there's five, right? So the third third step step is to look at your partner as infinitely valuable. Seeing them as valuable has a lot to do with the, the, the thoughts that are going on in our own mind and what we're obsessing about in our own mind, what we're dwelling on. Um, internally. And if, if, if we're dwelling on our own superiority, like I'm so much better, I'm so much smarter, I'm making so much more money or, you know, all of that, right. Then that is going to probably pump up our ego a little bit and feel good to the ego, but it's going to be destructive to our relationship. Also, similarly, if we're thinking about all of our partner's flaws and we're thinking about all the things that they're doing wrong, then that's going to be damaging to our relationship. So our it's, it's not that's not the right perspective, right? I mean, we need to be on the we positive. Need to work through gratitude, gratitude, and we need to to be in a mm-hmm. positive perspective where we're we're looking for those things that they're doing right. Right. Actually, sorry, that was your step three. Keep going. Yeah. No. No. You're right. And exactly like being an overthinker in our own mind, and also what comes out of our mouth, because when we cherish our person, we tend to treat them with love and respect. And so as an antidote, yes, empathy, and then, of course, cherishing them are the the antidotes for contempt. Wow. So far, it's recognize it's a problem, feel empathy and take responsibility, and then cherish them. them. Cherishing them. All right. What's next? So next, we're going to glaze over this really quickly because it's all in last week's episode is how it's doing a gentle startup because if you remember from last week when we do have an issue or a concern that we want to raise with our partner we want to do it gently because 96 percent of the time the way a conversation starts is how it's going to end and if you start a conversation with contempt it's not going to go well so step number four is to use a gentle startup when you have to take um, when there's when there's some kind of feedback that you're going to give so go back and listen to the last episode for that Okay, and then last, step five. So step five, and this is what something you can continue to work on, but if you're feeling like you're getting triggered, find a way to interrupt that reaction, that neurological reaction that is taking over in your body. And we call it a pattern interrupt. And we'll talk more about pattern interrupts in future episodes, but basically it's a finding a way to take a break and to interrupt that automatic response. So what I would suggest is that you have some kind of pre-agreement with your spouse, some pre-arranged signal. Maybe it's a hand signal, maybe it's a safe word. So you both know, hey, I'm feeling triggered right now and this would be a great time to take a little break. And then take at least 30 minutes to an hour to go calm down the nervous system with some kind of technique. And we'll talk about techniques for that later. But the cool thing about a pattern interrupt is that if you interrupt a pattern enough times, the interruption becomes part of the new strategy and the new process moving forward. So So it will slow down that. It It will will, slow the acceleration into this pattern of just And eventually, if you do it enough, it will just stop the reaction. Oh, even better. I like that. Right? Okay. So that's something you can do right now. We also have some some tools that we teach in our private coaching where we can change that response more quickly, really, really rapidly using neuro-linguistic programming. But what you can do right now is if you're feeling triggered, take a break. Okay. Well, seems like I got too serious, so it's time for a dad joke. Of course. I hope you can tolerate it. I can. All right. Contempt is like crabgrass in your lawn. Ignore it long enough, and, well, that's all you have left. Mm, 
Yeah. I got just it was a kind cur- of a, I got a courtesy joke. It was serious joke. too, though. It was a serious quote. It was a serious joke. I like that. Well, I try to tie it in. All right, let's summarize these steps. How do we change contempt in ourselves? One, we recognize it. Two, use empathy and take responsibility. Three, see your partner as infinitely valuable. Four, use a gentle startup when bringing up an issue. And five, use a pattern interrupt. Take a break when you feel triggered into that old behavior. These are simple principles that when you start implementing today will make a huge impact and may even save your relationship from divorce. And don't worry about having to write all these down because as usual, my amazing wife, Charlotte, has already built a cheat sheet for you for this episode. So just check the show notes below for the link. If you found today's episode helpful, would you consider leaving a five-star review? It only takes about 30 seconds. Yeah, and perhaps you could even mention something you learned here today in this episode. Reviews help other couples like you to find us here, which in turn helps us to make a bigger impact on families and relationships. So if you know anyone who would specifically benefit from this podcast, please forward them a link. And then join us next week on Master Your Marriage. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.